Hello, everybody. Hey, guys. Guys, um, we just went through, it was a trial and an error, but mostly a trial. I feel attacked. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. I am having a week. I spent probably 10 minutes regaling Paige with the details of my week, and then we started to record and just issue after issue. <laughs> Unfortunately, the issues began while you were telling the story, but but <laughs> it was almost like the, a cosmic prank because I, I would, you would like not, I couldn't hear you for like a good chunk of it. Then I'd hear like, and then she ate all the, you know, chocolate. And I was like, okay, I think she's talking about Lucy. You know what I mean? So like, and then you were like, and we were so scared. We took her to the vet. And I was like, right. And so I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything's fine, guys. But I'm just, I'm just going through it. And it's fucking hot today. It's fucking hot. I have a fucking cold. I apologize about my voice. Paige will edit out anytime you hear me blow my nose. I'm sorry. Or will I? You better be nice to me. <laughs> You're so beautiful. <laughs> I'm Petty Page. You better be nice to me. <laughs> At one point in the episode, you'll be like, and then this happened. I'll be like, well, actually, Paige, I think they really went in here. And I just see you go. <laughs> and like, make a note. <laughs> I've definitely done that before. I arrange when I'm, I was thinking about this the other day. I take rejection very well. Criticism, not so well. <laughs> Because rejection's just a one time. It's like done. You one and done. They're like, no thanks. And I'm like, all good. I don't need to know why because, you know, when you tell me why, it becomes criticism. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't like criticism. I don't like constructive criticism. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like well-intended criticism. Very few people do. And that's where it's tough to be like, a supportive friend because because people are like come on like tell me if I'm being irrational and especially ladies such as we it's like no don't you I know you don't want me to I just want validation <laughs> yeah. only validation no criticism I feel like people are like okay as long as you're asked but still it's very scary to be honest with with women <laughs> well it's so nice to have a therapist because if she ever gives me criticism I don't like I can fire her so it's, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> not the response I was expecting. You know, it's like. <laughs> I was thinking you would go, you know, and I would understand coming from a therapist because it might be like more of a different way of thinking. You're like, I can simply fire her. I was watching that episode of You're the Worst earlier where um, Gretchen goes to therapy. And she just <laughs> is so mean to her therapist. Titty sucking bitch. But just know I have a very loving, respectful uh, relationship with my therapist, but I can fire her I, if I need to. Um, I forget what I was about to say. I had something to say, but it's gone. It wasn't important. It was something stupid. I don't know. Where am I? I'm so disoriented. <laughs> well, should I tell you where you are? Yes. Where are we? You are at Law & Order SVU Season 1, Episode 19 contact and you just thank you my friend guiding me through this this murky water because i just remember what i was gonna say i was gonna say this is elite squad pods 21st episode 21 can you do something for me 21. we we didn't even say anything about the 20th episode we should have I know. celebrated i forgot because i well like i mean i, I knew writing forgot, it but like in the in the heat of the moment i didn't really clock it. 20 episodes. 20 episodes. We have been doing this. Oh, my goodness. And we recorded the first four in 2022. So it feels like it's been two years. I know. 
<laughs> it really does. It feels like we've been doing this for both a very short time, but also a very long time. It's been 19 weeks or episodes, and I feel like we've seen a lot of changes. Like, people are different. Like, the people we knew from episodes, I'd say, one through seven are so different now. Munch, especially, I think has gone through the biggest... They've dialed him down. They fine-tuned him. He's not... He's not as much of a caricature as he was episode one where he was like, JFK, 1960s, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, hey, what does this have to do with the rape and murder of this poor woman, John? (laughs) John. This episode, over the next few, we're going to shed kind of the last two characters that kind of are just a part of season one and we are not going to see in the future. So is the second character Lil Briscoe? Yeah, we shed him this episode, and thank God, because he's kind of a dick. I, I would love to speak to somebody about what the point of him was. I guess just to have scenes like we had today. This season, I think, has been very experimental, where they're kind of trying to see what fits. What was, I, what was the point of that? It's gone. Smoking right before we did this was not... <laughs> 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 so today we are going to be talking about Law and Order, Season 1, Episode 19, Contact. Yes. Original air date, April 28th, 2000, directed by Michael Zinberg. We don't usually do this because we assume anyone listening to a Law and Order SVU podcast is pretty aware of the content, but I'll say if you listen to this podcast and then think you want to go watch this episode, I'm going to give you a little bit of a trigger warning. The very first scene is very upsetting. Yes, it's very graphic, trigger warning. Um, And let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, opening scene. A woman is waiting on the subway platform for the train. She's speaking on the phone and holding a coffee and saying things like, don't buy or don't sell. Sell, don't buy. Michael, are you there? Business stuff. Business things. I wonder if those buy, don't sell people still exist. Do you think they're running around like in jungle to jungle? I know you don't really watch Friends, but I picture this episode of friends where phoebe it's kind of like an alternate reality episode where phoebe's like a high-ranking banker or some shit and she just keeps like opening her cell phone and screaming she gets a heart attack so the train comes and she the woman enters the train and it goes a stop or two and she ends up moving to the back of the subway car after the train takes off from another stop a man wearing all black and a hood but with his face bizarrely uncovered like we could see his face oh yeah He pulls out a box cutter and rushes at the woman and pushes her face first against the back of the train, against that door. He holds the box cutter against her and says, open your mouth and I'll slice your throat, bitch. He then proceeds to rape her. You can see a few of the passengers seem to notice what's going on, uh, but they're doing that thing where they're kind of just glancing and not really addressing it. So, for example, there's a woman sitting literally right next to her while this is happening, and she kind of glances at them, so it's clear she's... You can tell that she kind of knows what's going on because she's not comfortable um, and no one says anything. So the train pulls into a station and as soon as the door opens, the man runs out. So the woman kind of does that thing where she like slowly falls to the floor. She's clearly like not in shock in the traditional sense, but in shock. It was kind of the best way. There's no other words. I was like trying to go. I was like synonyms for in shock. And most of them are like in awe, dismay. And I'm like, well, these don't seem like enough of a descriptor. Yes, definitely in shock. I just want to note that this victim is named Jen Calder in the episode, but she's played by Nicole Sullivan, who you would probably recognize her Mad TV, or she had a multi-episode arc on Scrubs, and she's been on King of Queens, and she's normally a comedic act- actress, but she does the dramatic very well. I 
love Nicole Sullivan. Me too. I I don't. We've never. I was a huge Mad Tea. I never watched. Um, I think it's my parents didn't like SNL. Sorry, controversial. But um, we were big Mad TV people, so I loved her. She. I was like, I thought she was one of the most beautiful humans I'd ever seen because I love bangs, obviously. So she had like really ferocious bangs. And she still does. Well, she did in this episode. Oh, she totally did. She is also Muriel Goldman and Diane Simmons, both R.I.P. from Family Guy. Because I think, I don't know why they wrote her out, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't malicious or anything. I think she just couldn't, she didn't want to do voice acting anymore. She does a lot of voice acting, too. She's so talented. She is. And she's, um, oh God, why can't I remember her name? Timothy Chalamet's sister. Pauline. Character's mom in oh, Sex yeah! Lives of College Girls. <laughs> I know. She's so funny. She's the best. Yeah, I'm glad you recognized her too because I was going to do that. I was going to be like, um, also, let's give flowers to Nicole Sullivan. There's actually a lot of like kick-ass people in this episode, actually. Again, a lot of like real kick-ass actors. Now, on a serious note, can you fucking imagine sitting anywhere and seeing someone be assaulted and not do anything? Like maybe I'd be in shock for maybe five to ten seconds where I'd be like, but I think I would at least like go and be like, are you okay? Or I'd like to think I'd do something. I have always felt like I would. And the only reason I feel like I wouldn't is because I'd be afraid that like if I was wrong. But in a case like this, I definitely would rather be wrong than not. Also, this happened um, last year sometime. I forget when. But it was at the F train station on 2nd Avenue where I used to live. Or like off of where I used to live. And this man like knocked a woman to the ground crawled on top of her and attempted to rape her and people were filming it and going being like get off or get off or and he was just like kept she was standing she was laying there going help and like no one people were just filming but and going get off her and like he finally did but it was only after he'd like put his hand up you know he'd assaulted her like he did i don't think he had the opportunity to rape her but he assaulted her and people just stood there i mean they were i guess doing something because they were filming it but I have I carry pepper spray for this reason, and guess what? You can get fined in New York for using it in self defense, and I don't give a fuck. Please. I wouldn't give a shit. I would get use it for myself. I would use it for someone else. I think in this scenario, I would need a buddy. Like I would like grab someone and be like, "Do you see what's happening? I think we should do something." Like yeah. pull some. I mean, I don't know. I'm five foot five. I there's not. I I could just kind of grab him, but I think I probably would grab the guy in the coat and be like, "We need to stop this." Right. So, or at least cause a scene so that it disturbs the person while it's happening, while the train. Now, there is a whole other thing where he had a weapon and stuff. I, it's very, it's hard because obviously I think a lot of people freeze in these moments because yeah. they're afraid of like the what ifs. Um, I don't think I'd ever be afraid of getting hurt per se. I would be more scared that like I make a scene than I end up on TikTok. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. It's never been in my nature to just look at something like that happening yeah it's hard being pretty and good people (laughs) look out for each other people yeah people we're gonna get one of those in a minute (laughs) i said that oh so dun dun we go to the bullpen so we learn the rape happened on the c train and we're learning that the squad seems to be dealing with a serial rapist a man who threatens women with a box cutter He assaults them and then disappears when the train pulls into the next station. He's attacked seven times in six months and three times in this month, so he appears to be escalating. Uh, Cragen 
I did not write any more notes, but I think Kragen just kind of sends people off on their missions. Munchies is sent to the streets and to the subway, and Benson and Stabler are sent to start interviewing victims. And I'm so stupid from this cold. Witnesses. No, I couldn't. I was trying to help you. I was like, "Mm." people who saw the people. Dun 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 dun. Quick comment. Um, this is chaos as far as the subway goes. They said it was on the C train. In the original scene, right before the man attacked Nicole Sullivan, it was the F train. And then, where Munchies is walking right now, it's the downtown 6 train Astor Place stop. And then when they get into the station, which I'm skipping ahead, but we're going to go back, it's a Spring Street C stop. Chaos. Oh my god. I understand they probably need stock footage and they only had one of the F train. So, dun-dun, we're on the streets. Uh, Jeffries and Munch are approaching the crime scene and she asks what's up with him. And he's like, oh, today's my wedding anniversary. And then Monique's like, for once, she's kind of sympathetic. She's like, oh, uh, which one? And he's like, exactly. It's all right. He's just being cranky in general. That's what I heard. Yeah. He's like, mm, I am my wedding anniversary, but I can't remember which one. It's hard to be a womanizer. <laughs> this doesn't feature prominently in the rest of the episode. It does not. So done, done. Or cut to. More cut to. Um, Now we're in the subway platform once again. So we are in the C train subway platform, Spring Street. So Munch and Jeffries are speaking with two transit cops. One is Detective Greenberg and the other, I think, is just credited as uniform cop. So I call him Lil Transit Cop. Which one's the one that's a little hot? I think it's Lil Transit Cop. He's a little cute. He's a little cute. I thought so too. Not a lot cute, but a little cute. He's like the type of cute where it might take a minute to grow on you. Um, Like you'd be like, like if your friend was like, what do you think about Dan? You'd be like, I don't know, you know, but you don't want to be mean because, you know, Dan's a cool guy. But then you like spend a night with Dan while everyone else is too drunk. And like Dan tells you funny jokes and makes you an origami crane out of a gum wrapper. And then you're in love with Dan. I'm a little in love with Dan now. Ooh, You're like, Paige, are those hearts on your notes? (laughs) Now his name is Dan, by the way. He is, yes. So um, Munchies are talking to Dan and and Detective Greenberg. They say that the attack happened two stops away from where they are now, and the victim reported it uh, after she got off the train. Jeffries makes a comment about how it took the victim a long time to find a transit cop. True. They're kind of few and far between. Well, she seemed in shock. That's not too surprising to me. Two stops, they're pretty close. Like when I've taken the subway, it seems to be like five minutes between each stop almost. Yeah. Depending on where you're going. I would imagine she was a little too disoriented. It goes quickly. So she might have been just sitting there trying to collect herself. Yeah, for one stop and then another stop trying to find one. So that's right. not too then, surprising to me. Like you'd have to get out. It's not that easy to find a cop in New York, you'd think, you know, but like I'm not being like, oh God, I'm just saying like you don't always leave the subway and just find a cop. They're not everywhere. That comes up right. again later. Um, but yeah, so she made kind of a weird dig about that. Greenberg says, who's this? And the camera pans, literally just kind of pans over, like almost like a Wes Anderson cut, to this capital N-E-R-D nerd with Seinfeld <laughs> hair. I hated him on sight. He had such a specific look. Thank you so much. I was like, I'm trying so hard not to come for people anymore in the show because it's not fair. But like, this was such a specific look. Jeffrey says it's Nick Gasner from The Post. Nick says, we're all working together to catch this guy. And I think Munch goes like, kind of. No Nick Gasner. Having seen the whole episode, I know the point of Nick. But also, what's the point? <laughs> I still want to know what the point of Nick There's was. so much pointless shit in this episode. 
Next, number this was one like a movie. <laughs> oh, actually, no. Number one was it being Munch's anniversary. Strike one. Two is Nick Ganser, whatever his name is. Um, so Munchies, Greenberg, and <laughs> Detective Dan all walk in with the CSI guy. Walk into the train, excuse me, with the CSI guy, and the CSI guy and Munch like kind of have a weird girl fight where they call each other bureaucrats. Oh, I think it's because the CSI guy goes that he said that he found everything and nothing. So the CSI guy says that the metal inside the train car, I didn't know this, is oil resistant, basically. So it resists spray paint, but also body oils. Oh, did you see the sign behind one of their shoulders? And it is a turtle in a red circle with a line through it, dot com. Like, no turtle, dot com. (laughs) I was like... I was like, what is this website? I was like, is it noturtlesallowed.com? Noturtles.com. That might have been another Cassidy special. They're like, uh, Cassidy, can you do an anti-drug campaign? It's a callback to Stabler killing Dickie's turtle. Maybe it was that maybe it's that they're they're like banning the sale. You know what? Exotic animals are banned in New York, so maybe it was the maybe it was a reference to the ban on exotic animals. They were like, Elliot Stabler killed a turtle, so now no one can have a turtle. <laughs> I also wrote, basically, this is worse than a hotel room for gathering evidence. Yeah, because then the CSI guy goes, and there's fingerprints on this window. Hundreds of them. So obviously that's not fucking helpful. No footprints because same subway, millions of people, dirtiness. There's no point. Uh, So, oh, yeah. And then I I was like, that was kind of it. That was the end of that scene. And then I wrote, trains are all lies. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other title for this episode. Trains are all lies. Uh, So done, done. Now I wrote, oh, victim's apartment. I have it like over here. So I wrote Tim. So we're at Jen Calder's apartment and she laments to Benson and Stabler that if she hadn't stopped for coffee, she would have been on a different train, which is just so human when something really fucking shitty happens to you. You're like, if I hadn't walked my dog at that time, if I had decided to do this. I hadn't had that last shot. I was trying to relate. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, oh, yeah. That was a little too real for me. So Stabler's like, it's not your fault. And she's like, I know. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) And Stabler is being shit on this whole episode, by the way. It's just a running theme is him being shit on. So she explains where she was headed and that she had stopped to grab a latte before getting on the train. Olivia asks if she saw her attacker there or around her before the attack. And Jen says she doesn't know. And when she was attacked, she froze and it happened really quickly. And she's like, so much for taking kickboxing, which I think sometimes we forget, like there's fight or flight, but there's also fight, flight or freeze. And sometimes we just freeze and shit like that. So Stabler goes to show her a composite sketch of the subway rapist and then sneezes violently. Much like me, Stabler has a cold this episode and it's a running theme? Pastiche? What? It was so random that we both voice memoed each other and were like, I thought that was going to be just like a spoof, like, or not a spoof, like a goof, you know, like, oh no, like Chris Maloney sneezed and now we have to make it part of the, the show. <laughs> like, did he really have a cold? So they just wrote it in? I think he might have because there's a portion of this episode where Stabler and Benson just go MIA for various reasons. <laughs> That's true. This is actually, I think, sometimes we are not sure. Like in the, um, hotel episode when 
the guy was like, oh, yeah, Benson and Stabler are investigating your case. But it seemed like everyone was. I think this is actually Munchies' case. I think so, too, which is really weird and a bizarre kind of like. It's almost like a cruel farewell to Jeffries because then we lose her soon. What's she might even go next episode. I think she has to because there's only 20. There's there's only 22 episodes in the season. So she's got to go soon. It's like rock of love. When does her tour end? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking miss those days. I want to go back. Your tour ends here. (laughs) Brett. So Jen looks at the sketch and says, well, it does look like him. It also looks like the Unabomber. And then Stabler asks if she got a good look at him. And she says, yes, he was thin, sandy brown. She says sandy brown. I think she meant sandy brown hair. Not that he was a sandy brown color. And he also has a like a pointy nose. This comes up a lot. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> Poor actor. <laughs> I know. Once again, going back to how it's like, do they pick these people to go, that guy's got a pointy nose. Write it on the script. Write it down. He was wearing dark clothes and a hooded sweatshirt. And she starts to get upset. And she's like, he was panting at me like a dog. And then he left his sample on her dress. Dun, dun. So this is one of the witnesses from the train's office. Uh, BNS are speaking with one of the witnesses from the train, as I just said. He's credited as CPA Schreiber. He's a weird addition because they could have accomplished what he was supposed to be without a lot of his dialogue. And yet here we have some of his dialogue. So just to start out, because I'm going to say some of his dialogue, he's very stiff and seems kind of easily startled. Like he's kind of like, he's a finance bro. He's a businessman. That's what I wrote. CPA Schreiber says that he wasn't really sure what was happening to Jen at first because the attacker was, quote, on her and gone. And I wrote, writers, please stop it. He says he wasn't looking around on the train because that's not really what you do on the subway, which is true. You should not make eye contact with people. Not even for not even because every single one is dangerous. You just might get someone who wants to chat and it's never fun. Okay, which is a danger in itself. Serious. I hate small talk. It's weird. Mm. (laughs) Just like. Didn't mean to. I looked at you and now this is happening. He goes, you learn not to see, which is a little bit dramatic. It's like both true, but also, come on. It's more like you learn not to like have a big reaction to things you do see. Yes. They ask what the attacker looked like and he says that he was white, shorter than I. Stabler's like, how tall are you? And then he stands up and he goes, I'm 6'3", so probably like 5'10". <laughs> he like even does like a, like a hand to his shoulder, like, I don't know, like 5'10". And Olivia kind of looks, she, she you could tell she like doesn't want to be impressed, but she's kind of like, Ooh. he is pretty tall, he stood up. Uh, so he says that the guy was wearing a hood and a heavy coat. Benson asks if it was Navy, if the coat was Navy, and CPA Schreiber says, well, I was in the Air Force myself. Uh, yeah, probably Navy. Why? I love when they say two things that don't go together. It, it's so this show like yeah. this happens so much and that's why i'm like reading out his lines because it's kind of a waste of time but it's just that it's so random and it doesn't have anything to do so stabler then goes what about his pants and cpa schreiber goes his what his pants his pants <laughs> elliot means his pants but he's sick i'm sick and i can say pants i can say pants 
but I have a lisp, so it takes me a little longer. Just a little added at the end. Pants. I have to spell out my street address. Like, I have to, like, say it phonetically um, <laughs> to, the, to cab drivers because a lot of times they'll be like, what? Or they'll take me to the wrong address. That happened twice. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, they super think, far I, away and you have to pay for that? Um, It was, I caught it because they thought I said, um, well, two things. When I lived on 28th, they thought I would say 20th. So a couple of times they drove past 28th or, you know, or. Yeah. And I was like, wait, no. So CPA Schreiber says that the pants were dirty and had something like paint on them. And he says he remembers this specifically because he thought to himself, I don't want to get too close to that guy. I don't want paint on my coat. So Benson says, did you notice him before he was on her? Schreiber says no. So then Benson goes, so he's on her and you're worried about your coat. And so then Schreiber gets this look on his face, like really shamed because it took me a second. I was like, what? And then I realized I'm like. Oh, she's pointing out that he did see this happening, but he did not feel the need to get involved. And more worse, likely didn't want to get involved because the guy looked dirty. That's it. And it's kind of like you made a big deal about how much taller you were than this guy. (laughs) You didn't want to kick his ass. (gasps) You're right. He's like, yeah, you shorter than me, but I was too afraid to fight him because he might get pain on my coat what a wuss ass move buddy what a retrospectively what a true statement mm. <laughs> nah <Nuh-uh. laughs> you know i was like i'm six three but like he had pit on his coat yeah and was assaulting someone and had a box cutter so be a man take off your coat and go beat the shit out of him dun dun, dun the dun. transit pd station police department that's so funny i wrote idk a transit police station so yes <laughs> Yes, Jill. The transit cop is explaining to Munchies that this guy seems to have no pattern. He has assaulted women of different ages and races. And the, does he, hold on. I only have two notes for this whole scene because I didn't really like it. (laughs) That's okay. Mine's pretty sure. I mean, I have a little more, but it's like pretty, I think it's all dumb though. I wrote, they get into a fight with him too. Munchies is just pissing everybody off today. Yeah, I said Munchie's speaking to Greenberg again, and he's telling them basically there's multiple attacks, but they can't establish a pattern of behavior because there's no real pattern. And Munch is cranky and basically says that Greenberg's being lazy. And Greenberg's like really polite the whole time. Like every time these guys come for him, he's just like, look, man, I'm sorry. We're trying. <laughs> they're real. I mean, they're really there's just no other evidence. Dun dun. This is another dumb scene. I'm only mentioning yeah. it because in case you're following along episodically, they go to BNS are at a flower shop where that woman who is sitting right next to Jen that we mentioned at the top of the episode, they go to her flower shop. And this is a very unhelpful scene in general because they set her up to be like she was going to be like more of a witness because they close in on her face. And basically, she just looks really nervous the whole time is kind of like being like, oh, I didn't see anything. No, I didn't notice anything. Um. They they asked if she looked around at anybody. She goes, no, but I don't look at men. I'm like, oh, fair. Um, but basically, no. They, it's supposed to be, I don't know if the writing got cut off, but it was supposed to kind of make it seem like she was like, I don't want to get involved. So dun dun. Dun dun. Now we're at the bullpen. So Cragen approaches all our detectives and says, excuse me, people. <laughs> it's Cragen. So he <laughs> introduces Dr. Audrey Jackson. She is a forensic psychologist and was assigned by the deputy commissioner to join their team. And then he asks for his Cragen rundown. He doesn't seem super thrilled that she's here, but he's not as triggered as he is when Skoda shows up. Yeah, none of them seem to like these psychs. But Audrey Jackson is played by Audra McDonald, and she plays Liz Reddick in The Good Fight. 
She is also a Broadway legend, having won six Tonys, and she has more performance wins than any actor, and she's the only person to have ever won awards in all four acting categories, so she's like a freaking Broadway star. She, you can tell, too. She's like, she's- I know. She's the actor. In this I like, she walked episode. in, I was like, I was like, oh, shit, who's this? Right? She's kind of super funny, too. <laughs> I would not have been mad if she had stuck around and they'd made her like a legit SVU character. Um... Yeah, they're weird about, they're weird. They're weird to her. <laughs> so Olivia tells him about the witness who saw paint spots on his pants. This has truly gotten them nowhere. And Cregan asks how Jen resembles all the other victims. And Olivia answers that they were all women wearing skirts. And Dr. Jackson's like, women wearing skirts? That's all you got? They all turn and stare at her. <laughs> yeah, they're all like. And Stabler, <laughs> and Stabler goes, women wearing skirts on the subway? <laughs> Yeah, we have more. They were also on the subway. So they repeat that it's been different ages, different races. She asks about body type. Is he overpowering them? And then they're all still weird to her. And she's like, listen, I understand your resistance to me, but I was sent here to help you catch this guy. And Cragen's like, and we're so glad you're here. Thank you, Miss Jackson. And he, he sometimes calls her Miss Jackson, which immediately, of course, I was like, sorry, Miss Jackson. He calls her Miss Jackson? That's so fucking disrespectful if she's a doctor. Oh, he does later on. It's not, he's, he's not trying to be disrespectful, but he does say it. Cragen, she's a doctor. He, that Sexist. Is, you know, sexist. Ooh, I am for real. They're like, okay, what's your professional opinion since you're so smart and have a doctorate? <laughs> Um, and Audrey says that this guy is a dog and that he gets off on the hunt and that he, they can't plant a decoy for this reason because he doesn't really have a type. So then while this is happening, Munch goes and picks up the phone. So then Craig and kind of goes, OK, so then we wait. And Audrey goes, yes, we wait. Seconds later, Munch hangs up the phone and goes, wait's over because there was another attack on Delancey Street. And Munch makes a follow up crass comment about this guy peeing on another fire hydrant. Guys, let's leave dogs out of this. Guys, they didn't do anything. It's humans that suck. If dogs were to be like, oh, that, that dog's a total human, that's an okay insult. But we can't yeah. call people dogs. Dogs are great. Dogs are amazing. I, that's why people, oh, she looks like a dog. I'm like, I fucking wish I looked like the most innocent <laughs> angel in all the worlds. You, you, you lie beast. Dun dun. Oh, I said Delancey Street. That was wrong. It was Columbus Circle. Apologies. So we go to the Columbus Circle station. Jeffries and Munch meet up with uh, Dan, the transit Dan, cop, yes. <laughs> formerly Lil Transit Cop. So if I accidentally call him Lil Transit Cop, it's because that was in my notes before we named him Dan. <laughs> so romantic Dan tells him that an elderly woman. Oh, and Dan's like very pleased. He's like in a lot better mood. He's kind of like got a bouncing step. So he says that an elderly woman on the, I think it was the C train again, reported that a man was in the process of attacking another woman on the train. She began yelling at the man and it prompted another male passenger to tackle the suspect while yet another passenger pulled the emergency brake. Three-person operation here. So Dan, the transit cop, says that the older... Oh, yeah, I wrote that Dan, the transit cop, said the elder, elderly woman cried wolf, which was not how you use that phrase. That's if she was lying. Yeah. That's the whole point of that story. <laughs> Good job, writers. So transit Dan walks them to the, into the subway car, and they see this very gaunt... This scarecrow of a man. He just looks like a painting, like a sad, like American Gothic... <laughs> But he's surrounded by other transit cops keeping him there. And Dan, the transit cop, says, call me the dog catcher. 
And I'm like, let's let this go. Yeah. Let's, let's let it go. He wasn't even there for the dog conversation. Right. Writers, we don't need like, to do comedy off. callbacks. Right? This is not the rule of three. We don't have to do this. Oh, my God. Ew. And then remember she said, um, Jen said that he was panting at her like a dog. It's like, what was? Yeah. Dun, dun. So Benson and Stabler have the suspect, Bruce Abbott, in the mean interrogation room. And he's claiming that the motion of the train made him fall against the victim. Stabler's like, yeah, how many times did you fall? He's like, listen, she overreacted. And he's trying to say that he had one hand on the pole, the other in his pocket. And Stabler's kind of looking at him this whole time. And he's like, what's that on your pants? And the guy's like, paint. So then he says it's paint from a window. And they're like, how do you know that specifically? And he's like, well, I'm just really confused. And so am I. It was a very confusing exchange. Well, you're painting houses all day. So how do you know the paint came from a window? I think they thought he was just like fucking around with them or something. Yeah. Because like, he could have been painting a window sill. Does Bruce give you, oh gosh, what's his name? Dennis O'Hare vibes. In my notes, it says... Bruce is giving Dennis O'Hare. Yeah. And his voice is very funny. It's kind of like Kermit the Frog meets Ray Romano. Um, and they have him dressed in such a way. It's funny because I don't think my dad ever dressed like this or when he did. He just didn't look like, like a Goomba like this. But like they've always got these guys in these like oversized button downs and these like kind of really big slacks. Um, kind of like how Judge Reinhold dressed in the Santa Claus but like not with the yeah. sweaters, you know, but it's like oversized. And it, it, they're like always men in their 30s. Even Nick, even Nick, the journalist, Nick Gansner, he's dressed in such a way that I'm like, you aren't aging yourself. You're probably only 38 or something. That's how the, um, I can't remember names anymore, but uh, Holly from The Office's husband was dressed in the episode where he was sexually assaulted on the roof and then killed the rapist. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan's husband. Yeah, just sad. It makes Fucking. me sad. I don't know why. It's like it's just normal clothes, but it makes me sad. It's like when men wear cargo shorts now. I'm like, don't. It's sad. Don't do that. So. So Olivia tells him to take his pants off. I thought this was like very much probably not okay, but I don't, we don't have time to get into the. Yeah. And he's like, well, can I say something? And he says, when he said a window, he meant a store window. So, yeah, he paints murals. Sometimes there are stores here, like shops, probably not so much anymore, maybe more back then, um, that they would have hand-painted window murals. And they were very pretty, usually coffee shops or bakeries. Oh, cool. Yeah. They don't care. They're like, take off your pants. Yeah, that makes them more angry. They're kind of like, we don't know what that is, so They were like me. I was like, take off your pants. So outside of the room, Dr. Jackson asks Cragen if he likes this suspect for the rapes. Meanwhile, she's thinking that he seems like a kid lying about a book he didn't read, though he definitely feels guilty about something she doesn't necessarily think he's the rapist. But Cragen's like, well, maybe he's Catholic and feels guilty about everything. So I'm like, does he think he did it or not? He, he's, he's doing that thing in this episode where he, like, really wants to, he's decided because other people are like, I don't know. He's like, no, I think it's him, even though it makes literally no sense. Exactly. So back inside, Stabler looks um, in the pants and tells him that they are going to run the sample. Ew. I know. Ew, it was just sitting in there. And they realize the left pocket has been cut out of the pants. Olivia is like, oh, 
The oldest perv trick in the book. You want some change? You want some candy? It's in my pocket. And he's like, no, I just, I keep a knife in my pocket and it must have cut a hole. Which, come on, Bruce. But Stabler asks where that knife is now. And he's like, well, it's in my toolkit. Olivia, everything he says makes them matter. So she just whips out her cuffs and arrests him. They don't do this with people they're supposed to, and they do it a lot with people that they aren't. Uh, although, so, right, Bruce didn't do it. Well, we saw the guy earlier. It's not Bruce. It's literally not Bruce. It looks nothing like him. Uh, he does have, like, a kind of a bigger nose, but that's it. But um, because that guy had a box cutter, I think they hear him say, I carry a knife. And they're like, oh, duh, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> From outside, Cragen's like, well, we're going to have to see how his stories match up to our witnesses. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. So now we're in the nice interrogation room. So the elderly woman who interrupted Bruce's alleged attack is speaking with munchies. She said that she noticed Bruce at first because she saw him staring at the woman who he assaulted. And she was standing, the woman was standing against a pole reading a book. So she was kind of, she did, was oblivious apparently. So the old woman says that it was weird because no one looks around on the subway except this guy. Again, true. It's kind of creepy when people are just sitting there scanning the car. You're like, what are you going to do? Is it time? I think I'd be scanning just looking for threats. But like not at eye level. I think I'd be kind of like. I scan around, but then, and I do it kind of just like, I don't know, if I'm bored, sometimes I do look at people because especially certain trains you take, like the youngs are on that train and there's a lot of cute outfits. So I look around, but you really should be just so you don't scare people like this poor lady. You need to be discreet. It is part of etiquette. Like if you're just whipping your head around, looking around, it does creep That's people weird. Out. It's weird because they don't know what you're going to do. So then she says that Bruce began circling the woman and Munch asks if the train was crowded. She says that it wasn't and they had plenty of room to move, but that's what alerted her because, again, nobody moves on the subway. Not until the train is close to the station. This guy had no reason to move, she says. Um, again, semi-true. She's right. The only time I really do move on the subway is if I'm trying to get away from somebody or which has happened before. Or if I realize that I might get trapped in the middle and I want to get closer to the exit before I get out. Sorry. I'm like, here's my TED talk about the fucking subway. Nobody asked for. Well, no, it's the subway in New York's almost like its own culture. It's almost like a musical. It's like you don't look at folks on the subway. Don't grab the pole on the subway. There's no fingerprints. I didn't want to touch the guy. I thought his pants were dirty on the subway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Subway the musical. TM, TM, TM. We are writing this. The woman says the train did jerk and then Bruce fell on top of the woman that he was circling. But then when he went to get up, he started rubbing against her. And she's pretty clear that this is what he was doing. Uh, She says that he bent his knees and started rubbing against her. I think that was verbatim what she said. So the woman says that the victim of all this didn't react at all to what was happening. She just kept reading her book. And so that's why the older woman started yelling. She said it was for all the times that I've stood there and taken it enough already. Fair enough. Well, and that's what we were saying in the beginning. It's like you do hope that if it's really happening to you that a woman like this does say something. This reminds me and all of a sudden I'm mad all over again. About the time, probably a decade ago, I went to a Counting Crows concert with my dad and this guy kept coming up behind me and trying to grind on me and I kept moving away from him. And finally, I was like to the left of my dad, I moved over and the guy tried to follow me and my dad said, hey, that's my daughter. And the guy finally left me alone and then apologized to my dad. Not me. Sorry. 10 years later, I'm so fucking pissed about it. 
Well, you shouldn't be because he offended your father, not you. <laughs> My father. Your father. My father. No, it's just people are so fucking entitled to other people's bodies. That is, I mean, that's just a true statement. I was out one time with my friend's friends. So I have, a, I have a tattoo on my shoulder of a horse, just so ever, in case you haven't seen it. So this guy that was there, he goes, what's your tattoo of? And I go, it's a horse. Because it's kind of a, it's, it's a funny design, so you might not know it at first. This guy touched it and, like, stroked it. And I literally went, I just, like, moved. And he went, whoa, you don't have to get offended. He got mad at me, naturally. I'm not even saying that, like, oh, I'm shocked. Like, oh, my God, he got mad at me. Like, no, he got mad at me and started lecturing me on, like, being too sensitive and making him feel uncomfortable. I made him uncomfortable because I was being rude. I'm sure you know how I handled it, so. <laughs> I'm sure you were quiet and let him finish. I was soft and quiet, and I apologize. We digress. We digress. Dun, dun, dun. God. So Olivia enters the bullpen, and the journalist guy, Nick, is there. And he's like, oh, I missed you at Columbus Circle. And she smiles, and she's like, well, I miss you, too. So he asks her about the arrest of Bruce Abbott, and she's like, yeah, it looks promising. And he leans in and says, listen, people want to feel safe. And Olivia's like, well, people should never let their guard down. And I'm like, oh, okay, Olivia, people just want to know that a dangerous rapist has been taken off their, taken off the streets. Now, what is this exchange? I'm going to record it off the TV, and I'm going to add it in here because I need the people to hear it. She looks at him and goes, Chinese wall? He says, Mushu? And she says, Dim sum. Eight o'clock. Chinese wall. Dim sum. Eight o'clock. And he leaves. Okay, so I can't explain the Chinese wall part because I looked it up because I was like, what is this? From investopedia.com, Chinese wall is a business term meaning a virtual barrier erected to block the exchange of information between departments in a company. So she was kind of making like a highbrow business like flirting kind of like this is why I can't tell you it's a Chinese wall. Also, it's like, are you trying to say it's like the Great Wall of China? I know. I thought it was a Chinese food restaurant that she was suggesting. I'm going to say it devolved. It devolved into that because that's kind of what she she was like. But I don't know why he said Mushu. Now, you get the sense here that he may not be as into her as she is into him. Thank you. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same me about that. Nick's a little hot and cold. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun. We are now at, and I wrote no caps, the guy who took down Bruce on the train's work. <laughs> I said a construction site? Thank you, Brittany. Um, and I'm not know. being sarcastic. Thank you for being the grounding force in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, is another... this, what is this guy's job? A guy is moving concrete blocks. This guy, Munchies, is speaking with this guy who subdued Bruce on the train when he saw that, well, he says that he wasn't paying attention to what was going on on the train because you don't do that, apparently, remember, Uh, until he heard the old woman yelling. And he says that she was saying things like, get off of her, stop it. So the man says that he saw Bruce on top of the other woman and he was like pushing up against her. And Munch asked him to clarify and he goes, "Eh, you know, like really pushing into her. Seems like it was pretty clear that Bruce was doing something wrong. Yeah something you know it's not super clear to me based on this entire episode but i think he was that's why i kind of go in and out of saying assault because he kind of did but but also the lady didn't care (laughs) so 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 this guy says that he assumed that it must have been the subway rapist 
And he put, he says that he put Bruce in a Nelson. And Monique chuckles. She goes, full or half? And he goes, full. And I'm like, you didn't need to do that to Bruce. He was definitely more of a quota Nelson type of guy. That would have taken him down. Yeah. This man is a literal piece of paper mache. Fragile. (laughs) Dun dun. Hospital. So the doctor. (laughs) I wrote munchies is speaking with a unibrow. He looks like Carrie Elways with a unibrow. And I love Carrie Elways. I was going to say that is that's tough feedback. Doctor tells them that she says he never penetrated her, and he looked over her clothes with a black light. There's nothing, and she says nothing happened. And Jeffrey's after hearing there's no evidence of anything, and the victim said there was nothing. Goes, is she in denial? <laughs> She's in denial, right? Literally, the guy's like, "Yep, we did an exam. There was no penetration. There were no fluids or anything. We checked with a black light, and she says nothing happened." And Jeffrey's like, "So she's in denial?" I'm like, "Did you did?" Did you listen to what he said? He's like, or nothing happened. (laughs) So munchies go to her room and she's like, yes, he rubbed up against me, but that's basic rush hour shit. It's funny because everyone else is like, this is really bad. Like he was clearly pressing up against her. He was clearly undulating upon her. And this woman's like, it was nothing. This happens all the time. It's the subway, don't you know? And she says that the elderly woman overreacted and that Bruce basically just rubbed against her. And she does say rubbed. And I'm like, yeah, but the word rub by nature is a little gross. So that's kind of, that's what everyone's upset about, lady. I'm going to call her Judy. Yeah, she goes, half of riding the subway is keeping your zip pursed, your pockets closed, and your jacket buttoned, and everyone else's hands in your sight. And then Munch is like, kind of hard when you're reading. And she goes, no, you read a line, scan the car. Read a line, scan the car. And you mind your own business. And then she tells him that she got flashed by a guy at Lexington Avenue two weeks ago. And Jeffries is like, what? And then she turns to Munch and says, no matter how much they try to clean that subway up, they can't get rid of the smell. Everybody's B.O., fast food. Ugh, I wish I had a Mustang and lived in the burbs. Everybody's B.O., fast food. I wish I had a Mustang and lived in the burbs. Amen, sister. Amen, sister. (laughs) Amen, sister. So that was a very pleasant exchange, but basically the victim doesn't think she's a victim. Well, dun dun. Dun dun. We're in Cragen's office and Dr. Jackson is telling Cragen that Bruce Abbott didn't rape the women. And Cragen's like, I'm telling you, maybe he just didn't get the chance to rape this woman. So Cragen wants the women to come in for a lineup. And Dr. Jackson is like, so you want all these women to like take the subway to get here? And he's like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Pick them all up individually? And Dr. Jackson's like, they're yes. all super traumatized. Like, what the fuck? And Stabler and his cold are here. And he's like, well, maybe we can ask the transit cops. And Cragen is basically tells him to shut the fuck up every time craig okay so stabler it's almost stabler wants so badly to be part of this and like he keeps trying to like when audrey's like you can't make them ride the subway they were assault on the subway and stabler goes she's got a point and craig and shoots him a look just like shut up sicky and then yeah he tries to suggest he's like well maybe we could get the transit cops to help us and craig and once again shoots him a look like shut the fuck up like what is up with stabler this episode he is basically told to shut up the entire episode this cold has made him weak. He is Bruce Willis and Unbreakable if Bruce Willis and Unbreakable was exposed to water. There is never a weaker person in the world than a man who's sick. So true. But also, huge props to Dr. Jackson. I wouldn't have even thought about that whole subway thing. But also, I'm not a New Yorker, so I don't really think about that as part of my day to day. But that's such a good point to not 
throw like Kragen's like what they can't take the subway I'm like how long have you been the SVU captain you asshole I have friends that won't take it for they've been assaulted not as violently but they've been assaulted and for that reason they don't they don't take it anymore it's just there you know it's too the potential is there and that's simply enough have you ever been groped on the subway yes technically so this I wouldn't call it it was strange so it was a really crowded car and I was standing up and facing the benches and there was a it was probably like anywhere between 16 and 20 this kid sitting in front of me so when the car got crowded, I was pushed kind of like against the benches. And so my leg ended up between his legs because he was manspreading. He closed his legs on my leg. Oh, ew. And kept it like that. And it was one of those things where it was, again, I wanted to move it because I knew mm-hmm. what he was doing. It was no need, there was no reason for him to be doing it. But it was like so crowded. I was so tired. It was like rush hour. And I was just like, Again, in my mind, I was like, he's not technically groping me. He's just being a fucking weirdo and like holding onto my leg. But it, it was like, it was like weird, but non-threatening. But again, I'm like making excuses simply because I don't want people to think it's on par with like actually being groped. But it's still, it's still an invasion of, it's like why he did not. Need it would have been funny that. if you pretend to fall and just hit him right in the balls. Mm. I thought about it. I was like, I could just like pull a oops, yeah. you know, and like junk, really junk crush tap his balls, him just, you know. Ugh. Fucking really. Uh, I mean, anyway, anyway, I digress. digress. Um, oh my god, where are we? Oh yeah, so Kragen does like a one eighty at the end of this, and is like, okay, we can have the ladies all get picked up. That's just where he says Miss Jackson. He goes, Miss Jackson's right. We shouldn't. Doctor Jackson is right. You prick. I am sorry, (laughs) Doctor Jackson. (laughs) So dun dun the lineup. So Bruce Abbott is number one, and we see our first victim. Those eyebrows are a goddamn crime. I thought that they kind of bungled this a little bit. It's very confusing. All right, I'll just break it down. So basically, the first person goes, looks at them, and then goes, yes, I'll still be taking a cab. So meaning none of them are the guy. One of the victims believes she recognizes number four, but she does kind of a, or maybe it's number two uh it kind of looks like the hands of number four but maybe the face of number two and then she's like yeah i don't know she was very dramatic about it she was like his hands his eyes are number two his feet are number 12 and i was like oh then another girl like she's looking and then jeffrey's she kind of shakes her head and then jeffrey's like puts a hand and she goes (gasps) and then she sees jeffrey's and then she smiles like oh good and they were cut so quickly and then another girl standing with munch and she's looking and she kind of looks puzzled and she turns to him and shrugs and he shrugs back at her and i'm like this isn't the comedy hour yeah (laughs) like what um they're all different types of women so like i think britney said this the first one's a blonde probably in her 30s the second two are like these two brunette girls who seem like they're in their mid to early 20s the dramatic woman who sees him and everyone is probably in her 50s, I think. No shade. Uh, and there's another woman who's very notably tall, a woman who is very 90s goth, and then Jen. So these are the seven. The big- goth is credited as mascara. That's her name? So I need to check this on the actual credits, but IMDb credits her as mascara. One of the girls is Sporty Spice. I love IMDb. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm assuming the tall girl is supposed to be Sporty Spice. Maybe. Um, ultimately, five of the women, the first five women, can't identify Bruce in the lineup. But then this one tall woman does pick him out because he's number one. So she goes, number one, 
but then they never address it again. I think it's implied that she just wants it to be. Because Bruce does look a, a little bit like the real perp. So I'm thinking right. I think I'm thinking she just kind of picks it out because then we see Jen picks out number four. But then she goes, yeah, uh, maybe not. And then she, she kind of turns to B&S. And I was confused by this at first because I didn't understand it. But she sort of she starts kind of quizzing them. She's like, well, what if I can't identify him? And they're like, well, then it becomes a trial matter. And she goes, OK, then what? And they're like, well, we'll have the DNA back by then. So hopefully. And she goes, OK, so it doesn't matter if I'm here or if I identify him. Right. And they're like, no, we still need your positive ID to get the jury to like actually indict him. And she's like, yeah, but like if the DNA matches, it doesn't matter. So it culminates too, because we're like, why are you like being weird? Like, so what it is that she doesn't see him in there. And I think she's trying to figure out like how far they could still take it if she doesn't recognize him. I think she's going through that thing where she doesn't not think he's in there yet. She just doesn't recognize him and she's afraid that she's wrong. Yeah, which we saw that happen a few episodes ago to Harper. Her attacker was in the lineup and she couldn't identify him in that fucked her whole case. Dun dun. Cragen's office. So ADA Erica Alden is, I'm feeling like we probably never see her again, but they give her a name. Um, she's with Cragen and Audrey in Cragen's office. She says that it's possible to rearrest Bruce and hold him until the DNA comes back. So Cragen, he's kind of mad. He goes, well, I want to rearrest him on a lesser crime. He loves doing that. Alden says that they could do that. Um, they could hold him for a third degree fondling, but questions whether she, this is kind of weird. She was like, but why would he admit to that if he's going to deny the rape? And I was like, okay, true. Um, and then Audrey, the forensic psych, if you forget, says, because he knows he's guilty. So Audrey's thing is that he didn't, he did something wrong, but he didn't do these serial yes. rapes. She goes, he's guilty of something, but not this. I also want to talk about how, so A.D. Alden was like, well, the thing where she was like, we can rearrest Bruce if the DNA comes back a match. And Craig goes, that'll be a miracle. I'm like, okay. Basically, they're going to try to get Bruce to admit that they, he groped the unnamed victim who looks like Feruza Balk. Right. And then in doing so, if he admits to it, they can hold him until the DNA test comes back positive, which they never end up <laughs> confirming that it didn't. So done, done. Interrogation room. Audrey, this is Audrey's shining moment. It's so fucking funny to me. She walks in and Bruce is in there with his lawyer. She's kind of like a composed loose cannon. Like she's a little bit unhinged. His lawyer goes, it's about time. And Audrey says, your meter's running anyway. And the lawyer's offended. And he starts to go, my client cannot afford. And she goes, shut up, counselor. <laughs> shut up, counselor. Hi. <laughs> she's awesome. I wish she stuck around. She's cool. She's really funny. And that's when she turns and goes, how you doing, Bruce? And he's like, I've been better. Oh. And so then she tells him that SV, she tells them both that SVU is not going to be charging Bruce with the rapes because they know he didn't do it. And he's like, oh, I thought they didn't believe me. So then she asks Bruce if he likes to ride the subway. And he says that he does. Ugh, this is where Bruce starts losing me. I was already kind of suspicious because everyone was like, no, he was definitely like humping her. But here's where he really loses me. He was like, he says that he does. And his description of why is because he likes that the train rocks you back and forth, front to back. It's so, and it's yeah. like really pathetic the way he describes it. And in normal circumstances, I would have felt bad. I would have been like, oh, this poor guy. But like, ew. Yeah. Because she's like, it's soothing, like a womb. <laughs> which makes the lawyer mad he's like oh please what are he goes what is the point of all this blather 
<laughs> and then she goes, to make him feel better. <laughs> no, she's just trying to get him to admit that he likes to rub up on chicks on the subway. I love that she doubled down on what she's clearly not trying to make him. She's like, to soothe him like a womb. <laughs> and then the lawyer's like, that's my job. And she goes, your job is to get him a better deal on a fondling charge. Kind of like, sit down, little boy. <laughs> Which the funny thing is, if he just shut the fuck up, he wouldn't get the fondling charge. But he- she has activated him. I was going to say, and again, it's like so far back there, but when they initially investigated him, told him to take his pants off, he wasn't under arrest yet. So I feel like, you know how you can, before they say you're under arrest, you can go, am I under arrest? And they go, no. And then you go, I'm leaving. I don't know if he didn't have that option, but like. I know. So. Bruce interjects. A spotlight appears on him because he's about to do like a one man monologue. It's so sad. And basically no one pays attention to it. So he explains that he grew up in the Midwest, like all people, and he was a geek and he was picked on because he was creative. I suspect a little more than that, but okay. Um, And he says it was always his dream to move to New York City. And then Audrey goes, "Mm, what happened? (laughs) Because clearly it's not going well. (laughs) And he says that everything just evaporated. And I was like, dude, I get it. Because when you get here, you realize it's a lot harder to do the things that you wanted to do. He explains that on the day in question, he was in such despair that he got drunk and went to one of those places where they dance behind the window, he says. It's called like a peep show, right? Peep show. I couldn't think of the word. I'm calling it a sex pop-up. That's what Amber does for Brett as her talent on Rock of Love. Oh, no, wait, they do a whole peep show booth. That's one of their challenges. Right. And then Anjali actually takes her clothes off. Oh, yeah. If you watch on Hulu, you see her full nude. which is what she would have wanted. We are not being disrespectful. Anjali loved to be nude. She said that. She said, I like to be naked all the time. Frenchie. (laughs) I miss her. So he kind of, he's like, and I just wept. And Audrey ignores the weeping part. And she goes, so you relieved yourself at the windows before getting on the train. And he nods. And she goes, so you weren't looking for sex that day? And he goes, no and he says it kind of like oh no but then he says this he admits that he was lonely and that when he saw the woman on the train that he fell into he like was just he was like i saw her and then he kind of trails off and he goes and i was hoping for contact and so he basically admits to doing what they said he did like i know the victim is like no he didn't do anything but like he pretty much there and they don't like how we just described it is how it was said like he never comes out and says it but like with this he's kind of admitting like i was drunk i was lonely i was horny and i saw this woman and i did walk up to her and when the train jerked i did fall on her on purpose and i did try to hump her Ugh, bruce you can't feel bad for this guy because like he admits that he kind of Rubbed up on a person. Yeah, he rubbed up on a person for gratification. Yeah, he did it on purpose. Like, I mean, that's what he said. He was like, it was just so lonely. And I'm like, yo, I get it. I mean, I don't. But like, yeah, I don't know. So that's why I kept being like, yeah, he like kind of didn't do anything, but he did. Yeah. So done, done. Um, by the way, we never, he, he's done now. We never go back to him. They we never find out, us. yeah, what happens to him. Bye. Bye, Bruce. Bye forever. <laughs> Hopefully you don't actually go to jail because you would not survive a day. So, dun-dun, hallway with Cragen and Audrey Jackson. So, Dr. Jackson tells Cragen that Abbott is not violent, and Cragen brings up the box cutter, and she's like, well, he uses it to open boxes. 
And Craigan's like, tell me how he's not a rapist. And she's like, I have been. She's like, I have been. But basically, she tells him they're looking for a classic power rapist. He feels powerless, so he uses violence to gain control. And once he gets control, he uses it to prove his virility. So then afterwards, he goes back to feeling powerless. And that's why he wants to get caught, which makes no sense to me. But okay. Thank you. I said that too. I was like, I was with you because usually violent rapists do want power and they like the fear. But then when she was like, that's why he wants to get caught because he's doing it in public. So he can go be powerless in jail. Yeah, I don't think that's it. I think he's just like a narcissist in a different way. I don't think he wants to get caught. He wouldn't run. He would stand there. Yeah. And be like, get me. And then the guy goes, "Ew, no, you're dirty. I'm not going to get my coat dirty. Ew, you've got paint on your pants. No. I'm 6'3. Get away from me. <laughs> I'm a beautiful man. <laughs> I'm a CPA. <laughs> dun, dun. Oh, God. Oof. Ugh. Oof. Barology. So, yeah. This is such a 90s date, by the way. Um, she's in like, I feel like back then you could wear a dress like Liv is wearing. It's like a cocktail dress, but like nowadays it would have been like way too fancy to wear to like even a cocktail bar. Like depending on what day it is, you'd be like, oh, she's dressed really nice, but it's Wednesday. She didn't need to wear that fancy dress, um, but it's very 90s. So Nick and Olivia are at Barology. So he's like about this subway rapist. And Olivia's like, are we flirting or are we working? Because like I said, Nick doesn't actually really fucking like her. Nick just yeah. is weird. He's so weird. Yeah, because he, then he's like, well, I, he's like, I'm not flirting. He's like, but I'm offering my undying love for the 10 millionth time. They met like the other day. And Olivia tells him to try again. He may get lucky. And he's like, all right, so your subway rapist. Maybe he's just trying to spread his seed. <laughs> It's so unhinged and she's trying. It's like, (laughs) so then she goes, she gets upset as she should. She's like, why is it my subway rapist? She goes, and what are you trying to say? If candies and flowers don't work, there's always an alternative. And then he goes, no, I'm not saying that. But there are people out there who do and they're selling books. I'm going to put the clip in of this conversation, too, because I need everyone to know what we're going through. I was like, what am I sitting here listening to? What are you saying? That if that if flowers and, and candy fail, then there's always one more alternative? I'm not saying that. Some people are saying that. They're selling a lot of books. So then Benson says, I should write a book. And he goes, you should. And then he gives her a backhanded compliment by saying that she's so in, that she's intimidating because of her profession and her professional knowledge. And he goes... That's why people move away from you on the sofa, Olivia. You get inside sex offenders. And Olivia's like, gee, so nice for me. She downs the last inch of her weird berry cocktail or <laughs> whatever. Like a cocktail in a beer glass. It looked like a fucking Smirnoff. <laughs> she like downs it kind of like, um, And it looks like she's about to blow him off. But then he stands up. Such weird dialogue. He stands up and like stands in front of her and kind of just gives her a smile. And he goes, well, I'm not moving away. And then she goes, I can see that. Do you mean not going anywhere? Like, oh, well, I'm not ready to end the night. Like, I'm not moving away. What is this whole? And poor Olivia. And, and these are all red flags, but she can fight some home anyway. She's horny. So don't don't we go back to Olivia's apartment. Yeah, you're like, oh, I hope she blows them up now. No, they're making out on her couch. Whatever. Red flags, shred flags. Whatever. So they're kissing. And at one point, Olivia pulls away and goes, what? And he's like, nothing. And she says, well, we don't have to do this, you know. It's fine. So she gets up and starts to walk away from the 
couch to uh, i don't know light a candle or i think put on a cd rom yes that was the vibe i got too and he follows her and he's like i want to do this it's just sex crimes you know sex and then he starts excitedly asking her like he's trying to kiss her again he goes what do you see and she's like you see what i see and he goes yeah and she goes let's not talk she basically does the Justin Timberlake, stop talking. It's getting weird. So I want to just kiss, please. And so they're kissing. And then like, it's, it's, it's like gross, like when they're heating up kissing and Nick goes, let's play pretend. And then he forcefully suggests role playing that he is a subway rapist and she is a victim. Her face immediately falls and you just see, you see just so many emotions pass through Marishka Hargitay's eyes. She's just like. Like, what the fuck to regret to, oh, no fucking way. She's like, no, no, what are you doing? And he starts to unbutton her pants and he's going, what would you do? And he's like getting really like excited, excited. It's like, it's terrifying. And so then she goes, oh my God. And she like pushes him off and she like holds her hands to her mouth and goes, I'm going to go wash my face, my hands, my mouth. There's the door. Make sure you're gone when I come out. And then she goes to the bathroom and goes, gone. And then shuts the door. And I was like, Olivia. Why are you leaving the room? And Nick is not embarrassed at all by his disgusting display. He's offended. He just kind of like looks around and is like, oh, I wonder what that was about. Mosey's on over to her desk where she just has files laying there and just starts going through them. I think Olivia got Ganser twice that night. I feel like when Nick does these little sketchy things, it's called getting gansed. Yeah, she got gansered. She got fucking gansered. I'm also surprised she, okay, I would never, I would have like watched him leave, but that's also because I would have been afraid he'd hurt me. But I guess because she knows she could like beat the shit out of him and murder him if she needed to. She was like, yeah, I'm going to go in this bathroom and cleanse my mouth. You leave. I would have been like, no, you need to leave right now while I'm watching you. Yeah. Because like, what if he hid in her closet? She's got kind of a big apartment. I still, I don't even have enough space for a man to hide in. And I like still check all the little closets I have. I'm like, what if he sent a child spy? (laughs) (laughs) Dun dun. So the next day, Craig's office, Benson walks in and she's got this look of like sheer regret on her face. Just like, oh Uh. shit. Craig's in his office. He's reading the paper. Um, She starts to talk and he cuts her off, remarking that he's reading Nick's article and that it's uncanny and that he seemed to get right inside the head of the subway rapist. And it seems like it might have come from the horse's mouth. So Olivia sits down and she goes, he's got quite a vivid imagination. And she looks like genuinely disturbed. She looks kind of like, I like hate the notion that this even happened. So she admits that she had Nick over and that she turned her back on him. And then he must have like looked in her files. And then Craig goes, never turn your back on a reporter. And I'm like, literally, because they'll go through your shit. Like, yeah. Fucking oh, my God. Little little fucking paper raccoons. But Craig isn't upset. No, I, I think he's kind of catching her drift and he just feels bad for her. Yeah, it is kind of embarrassing. I mean, it's very embarrassing, especially because you're right. If you watch the episode, Nick is just like very much like he's flirting, but in such a way that you can tell it's like only a means to an end. Yeah. Craigan offers, he's, Craigan's upset, not upset at her and he offers to handle it even. He's like, do you want me to handle this? She goes, no, I will. Then Munch opens the door and he tells him that there was another rape on Delancey Street this time uh, at the Delancey Street subway station. And this is the last time we see Olivia for what feels like days. I know. Well, at least in note-taking land. It's it felt true. Like I was like, oh my God, she's been gone for years yeah. at this point. What is up with Benson and Stabler this episode? 
it's, yeah, they like go missing. It's I, I assume she was killing Nick. I was like, yeah, so she's gone and it's because she's murdering Nick. But no, she was doing something else. Nope. So dun dun, Delancey Street Station. Transit Dan's back. Transit Dan's back. Munch asks Transit Dan how the victim is doing and he thinks she's in shock. And they're like, so is there anything different with this attack? And apparently, I don't really understand this. A man grabbed at the guy's coat as he ran off and a car dropped out, but no one's picked it up. Yeah. So they step back onto the platform, look around, see what I feel like is a lot of trash, and then pick up a parking stub. And they're like, aha, I found it. And I'm like, how do you know that was the, the thing? Thank you. That summed up all of my notes. I was like, um, in real life, this would never be as easy as it just was. And yeah, so you heard that right. Basically, someone tried to grab him on the way out. And the force of this grab made exactly one piece of paper fly out of his pocket <laughs> and land in perfectly within Munch's eyeline. Um, so yeah, Munch finds his parking stub for a parking garage in Queens from 6.50 a.m. this morning. So Jeffries goes, ooh, fresh lead. And Munch replies, fresh indeed. But originally, I thought Munch said, permission to pee. <laughs> He's like, it's, it's a bad time for me. I just need to go pee. Because I need to go wee-wees <laughs> before we go to Queens. Queens. All the way over to Queens. That's how Manhattaners talk about Queens. We're always like, ugh, you want me to go to Queens? Oh I actually God. like going to Queens, but that's because I have friends there. But everyone else like, Queens! So Munchies head over to Queens, over to this like random parking lot. And the car- attendant's like, yeah, that car isn't here. Apparently, you can reclaim your card without a stub, but you just have to pay the maximum. So they think this is annoying and weird, and they're mad at him. And he does admit that he's collecting the money from these, like, missing ticket cars. Like, he's pocketing it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but are parking garages allowed to just, like, keep and impound cars if you don't have a ticket? Like, that seems like a really bad method. Like, if I lost my ticket, you can just keep my fucking car. Because they're like, hey, the car's gone. He's like... I don't want to get in trouble. Well, the owner of the car came back. What the fuck do they want? Uh, right. If he recognized him, because he says the guy, okay, so we're, this is weird and it makes no sense, but they're kind of like, you let the car go. And he's like, uh, I pocket the money. Don't tell my boss. And it doesn't make any sense at all. What it culminates to is this guy, uh, he comes in a lot, actually. And when he does, he's always got a different car with him. So at first I'm like, ooh, big roller. But no, it's just that he uses different company vehicles from the place he works, Duels Painting. Uh, And he describes this guy as being white, skinny, with a pointy nose, which is what Jen said, of course. And it is also what Bruce kind of looked like. Yes. But yeah, weird. They're like mad at him. They're like, where's the car? And he's like, I gave it back to the owner. They're like, and took the money. They're like, how could you do that? Whatever. So dun dun, we go over to where Duel's paint and contractors are currently working. Um, And maybe the boss or the foreman is talking to them. And he's like, yeah, there's only one white guy that works for us. Um, He's only been there a year. He works part time, but not even that. So Jeffries is like, "Okay, well, what do you mean? So he says that when he takes the car, you never know when he's going to come back. Like today, he left on a supply run and he came back three hours later. He's like, I'm going to can this guy's ass one day. I wonder if he's afraid of like prejudicial retaliate he's like oh i can't he's the only white guy because he's terrible well I, so he also says that the other day he left for lunch and was gone the whole fucking afternoon and then yeah munch goes maybe he drinks because three hour lunches usually means happy hour and i love that the guy goes no i drink there's something up with this guy hey i do that too like when people are like we just talked about this when people are like i'm such a big drinker i love partying and i'm like Susie q unless you're six deep with me an hour into the party 
you're not a partier. Bye. <laughs> so they ask if Sal is there, and I call him Mr. Duell. says, he's like, yeah, he's over there. He's literally 12 <laughs> yards from them. He's literally, like, listening to their shit. Yeah. He's, like, literally, like, over there, like, oh, oh hey. He's painting a banister, like, angrily. He's just, like, slapping the paint on it. He's not doing a good job. This guy should fucking fire him. He's a fucking white walker. It's so scary. Dennis O'Hare, round three. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. The station. Munchies have Sal in the bullpen. Munch has him empty his pockets, and he's just chiding him in general. He's calling him broke and, like, <laughs> just making fun of him. And the guy's like, I'm just a painter. Um, so Munch goes through Sal's wallet, and he finds a state ID for a woman named Cedra Lonstein. Sal says that he found the ID on the street, or maybe on the job. I can't remember. And he says that he was going to return it, and then Munch scoffs, but you forgot. So then they also find a subway card, and Munch is like, oh, look, a history of where you've been. And Sal looks very stiff. He kind of makes this, like, angry, like, scared Ooh, face. It's like, mm. Yeah. Like that. It's just like his face is sort of like, Meh, Yeah. You know? Like, mm. Mm, yeah, it's just like mm, all the time. But he shouldn't be fucking worried because Munchies goes back to the main transit cop and they t- bring the Metro card over and the guy's like, yeah, the system's frozen. And I'm like, so they can never get this information? I think they can. It's just that Munchies wanted it right then. And Munch was being like, what good are you? And he's like, what do you want me to do? The system's frozen. He's being very polite. And he's like, again, I'm sorry. What would you like me to do? And Munch tells him to sit on the third rail. Munch is so mean this episode. That's really, that. their third rail is, um, it's electric. And if you, you will die when you hit it. Dun, dun. dun. Uh, and yeah, I wrote at this point, Benson Stabler have gone MIA. Um, I assume that Stabler is trying to get treatment for his black lung. And Benson is trying to kill Nick. So Sal's attorney tells Cragen that Sal can't do a lineup right now. <laughs> yeah, he just can't. Fucking. Cragen's like, well, he can rest between the IDs. And she's like, well, okay, then he wants to be number one. And Cragen's like, is that your lucky number? Sal's like, yes, it is. And Cragen's like, okay, good luck. Fuck, you can be number one. And it turns out to be a lucky number for him. It does. Balls. So done, done, lineup. Jen is first this time, and she's waiting with munchies and Cragen. The men file in, and Jen, before they even stop walking, immediately identifies Sal. Cut to the bullpen. They're leaving the, the lineup room, and Jeffries is telling Jen that she can go home and that they'll contact her about the trial later. Cut to the nice interrogation room, where Lil Briscoe is waiting with the rest of the victims. Jen opens the door and says, I forgot my scarf. And Briscoe tries to stop what's, what happens. But all the ladies go, how was it? And Jen goes, short and quick. And then another woman goes, like him. And then Mascara goes, little bastard. And she like gets kind of weepy. And Briscoe's going, stop, stop talking. And Jeffries kind of wanders in. And she goes, oh, great. Cut to Jeffries, Munch, and Cragen are scolding little Briscoe. They're so mad at him. They're basically being like, the fuck's your problem? And Briscoe's like, it happened so fast. Cragen goes, you better work on your reflexes, son. Yeah, and Briscoe's like, on the street, I'm fine. But there were six women in there, all yakking at once. When are you ever on the street? So guess what? Briscoe ruined the entire case. But how? Okay, in Briscoe's, and you know I love him. I know we are. I wrote this actually. I was like, Brittany will probably not agree with me. No, I probably don't. (laughs) I'm like, bye. If there's one thing we differ on, it's our opinions on the usefulness of a one little Briscoe. (laughs) 
we're not gonna have to disagree for much longer what is he a man to do when he's guarding a groom full of rape victims he can't very well start screaming at them like shut up girls shut up stop talking i think so this is what i was thinking he was standing in the room with the back his back to the door he should have been standing either right in front of the door or kind of like looking out to like see what was going on he was just kind of relaxing and then she wa- instead of saying, hey, Jen, you can't be in here. He goes, oh, I'll get that for you. As soon as she walked in, he should have said, hey, 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 you're this is going to screw up your case. Get out. They could have put a person outside the door guarding it and kept one person inside so that keeping the ladies from talking to each other, which they all shouldn't be together. But anyway. And then they have someone outside, like, making sure that, like, people like Jen just don't go, I forgot my scarf, you know? Or someone should have said to her, like, hey, by the way, you can't talk to any of the other victims because this is going to screw up your whole case. Dun dun. Dun dun. Supreme Court. Um, sexy, mean, lady-hating judge is back. Oh, yes, he is. Sal's attorney is telling this judge that, of course, all the women identified the client. They had prior knowledge that he was in the lineup. ADA Erica Alden is back, and she's like, okay, what was actually said was that the process was quick. And the judge is like, oh, but that would put the others in a prejudicial state of mind. Fuck off. Against a man. Can you imagine? So ADA Alden is like, listen, Jen identified this guy so quick. And Sal's attorney's like, but there's a cloud of impropriety over the whole case. How? But whatever. She's like, the only piece of evidence they have is a parking stub. And ADA Alden is like, well, we have DNA samples in a metro car. Eight positive DNA samples. And the judge says, without the IDs, I do not get this. The samples don't mean anything except that they had sex. So to recap, I'm pretty sure they said that they positively identified Sal as the donor of these samples on all eight of these victims or seven of these victims, excuse me. Um, So they had seven samples like he ejaculated on all of them. They were able to match it to him. And this judge is saying that all it pr- without the positive ID, all it proves is that they had sex with Sal. And then why does Jen's not count anymore? Jen wasn't prejudicial. Yeah, why? I, just, I, I don't guess that's understand only one person. And then it, it could be that she's... Lo- this judge is basically saying, and Staber kind of sums it up in the next scene, but um, sta- this judge is basically saying um, these ladies could have just had consensual sex with this man. It's so frustrating. So It's gross. So Sal's attorney moves to dismiss. He dismisses it. Um, ADA Alden is played by Rako Islesworth, who was in consideration to play Olivia Benson. And I think she would have done a terrible job. What? what? She would have been like Danny because she kind of reminded me of Danny. Yes, I thought that too. Hi, Danny. Not you, Danny. Not my cousin, Danny. Um, Danny from SVU. <laughs> the only other cancer on the show, except um, Dr. Jackson is a cancer. Dun dun. Bullpen. Now we got Munch. Benson's back. Cragen. Stuffy Stabler. Yeah, st- sicky Stabler. And they're all unanimously shocked. And Stabler sums up our reaction. And because at first I'm like, did I miss something? And no, we didn't. Stabler sums it up and he says, consensual sex on the subway with a man holding a box cutter? What planet is this judge from? Like, so all seven women had sex with this guy on a train and then claimed rape. All seven women had public consensual sex on a dirty subway against a wall with a man they didn't know um who held a box cutter to them but then when he didn't call them the next day they called they cried rape that's like basically what this guy is saying our faces right now i you know how i said i never tense my face last episode my 11s are coming in 
So Cragen says that they need to look into Cedra Lowenstein, which if we remember, she is the woman whose ID Sal had in his wallet that they found. So the squad says that Cedra hasn't returned any of their calls. The DMV hasn't issued her a new ID yet, um, so she hasn't requested one. Seven months ago, she changed her home address and all of her credit cards. So Craigan suggests that maybe Cedra's a victim. And I'm like, yeah, because I was thinking that. I'm like, oh, you're right, Craigan. Like, wow, it looks like she might be in hiding. She's like, probably she's changing her credit card. She moved. And he goes, and an uncontaminated complaining witness. I'm like, oh, you just want an uncontaminated complaining yes. witness. I get it. Which I understand. But yeah. also it's like, so then Munch, he sends Munch to go track her down. Um, and Stabler, <laughs> Stabler goes, I'll go with you. Craigan, because he hates Stabler today, gives him this look. And he goes, oh, wait. And then he looks at Munch and he goes, where's Jeffries? And Munch goes, waiting to arrest him. Cut to. <laughs> Dramatic music playing like. We see Sal leave Duell's painting and he's kind of like walking with such a force. He's like arms in the air, like up to his sides. You know, he's like walking like Johnny Bravo. Um, and he walks kind of like. Past this area, and in the distance, in the background, we see a car waiting. And in that car, we close up, and we see Monique sitting there, staring at Sal with her hand on her chin. And then she kind of moves the finger up next to her cheek, and she's watching him kind of like, hmm. Hmm. So Brittany and I thought, we were like, oh, God, there's going to be a big, beautiful takedown scene wherein Jeffries gets to shine. She's going to follow him onto the subway and he's going to she's going to like get on a train with him and kind of like hide her face. And she's just going to be peeking at him and looking at him. Nothing. Cut to <laughs> cut to we it was a piece of comedy and that was nothing more. Nothing more. They could have left it at waiting to arrest Sal. Oh, yeah. We would have been like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Cut to um, Cedra Lowenstein's new apart- new neighborhood. Excuse me. So very quick scene. Stabler and Munch are speaking with Cedra's new super. He's a really sweet guy and he tells them about how basically Cedra's really sweet she's a very happy woman super kind-hearted it sounds like he says that she has a Mona Lisa smile and I thought that was not a good example because she has a really beautiful smile and Mona Lisa has like a mysterious smile she works at the 34th street subway station as a cleaning lady done done oh god so Olivia is at Nick's office and she walks up to his desk and she's like Nice article, Nikki. He has like the phone like almost up to his ear and he's like, uh, uh, I was just about to call you. And she's like, yeah, sure, Jan. So I got reamed out by my boss for letting you read a confidential police transcript. He's like, you didn't let me do it. Do that. I sneakily did that. And she's like, yeah, I fucking know. So in a move that I don't really understand, she throws a police file at him and he's like, uh, what the fuck is this? He, she hands him a file. She goes, it's a cold case. Really good read. You better look at it. So then he kind of looks at it and he goes, okay, who is this guy? He was, it was about a guy who like strangle and tortured women, um, but I guess got off. But she goes, he was a man who had a rich fantasy life who couldn't stop. A man who uses women without the slightest twinge of regret. And then she kind of turns slightly and there's always other people in the office. Listening. Them, They're like, hey. listening. And she goes, a man like you, Gansner. A man like you. And then she turns and leaves. And I'm like, this is the most severe way to break up with somebody. <laughs> is this her Aquarius? it might be just like it's like is this what she does this is how she breaks up with people she goes to public areas hands him a cold case file and goes you're just like him i was like i thought she was gonna do something cool to him she just kind of like threw a police file she leaves it with him too 
Oh, she just leaves it with him. And he's like, kind of like, oh, shucks. Uh, I mean, he definitely got Bensoned, I guess, but. So this is really random. Nick is played by Tom McCarthy, who directed Spotlight, like Academy Award winning 2015 film Spotlight. <laughs> and he co-wrote it. <laughs> this, that's like an Academy Award winning director. <laughs> that's an Academy Award director. Yeah. I hate him. He's so hateable. He is. By the way, Spotlight is so good. He's I have not to watch it. it. It's about Boston. Dun dun. The 34th Street Station. Stabler is still sneezing. I wish they hadn't sent the men to do this. They do an okay job, but it's not great. Um, I have a comment for the next scene. So Munch and Stabler find Cedra, and she's with another MTA employee. We already see just like upon arrival that Cedra is supposed to be a very good-natured, almost like stereotypically kind-hearted woman. You know what I mean? One of those, it's almost like um, Snow White, you know, just like gentle soul, gentle soul. Yes. They walk up to her. And without even knowing who they are, she goes, hi, this is my friend Kelly. And I'm like, oh, my God, baby. Oh, I didn't mean it. But uh, yeah, so also she's visibly pregnant. Um, They give her back her driver's license and she's very excited and they ask her how she lost it. And so then she loses a little bit of her like sparkle, just a little. And she kind of goes, she's like, oh, um, a guy bumped into me and I dropped it. Dun, dun. (laughs) We have... I would say a trio from hell as far as this situation goes, but mostly Cragen. You know, we love Cragen and Stabler and Munch, but this visual's really unsettling. Like, they bring in Cedra into Cragen's office, and they sit her down at Cragen's desk. They let her put her feet up. She's kind of overwhelmed by how nice they're being. But you see her sitting, and then three very big men are standing around her looking down. It's not a good look. And, and they treat her, we'll give you more details, they kind of treat her like she's stupid. Am I crazy? No, because I started to wonder if she had developmental disabilities just the way they were talking to her. I agree. And because she's very, she's obviously very excited about this baby, but not in a way that is bizarre. She's, she's young. She seems like she's probably maybe 30 at the very most. And she's rubbing her belly. She's like really excited. She's kind of like, oh, I've been on my feet all day. Like, thanks for letting me sit. Like, very sweet. Um, they ask her how, when she's due, and she says eight or nine weeks, but she's not really sure. And she's kind of beaming. Um, so then Craven very awkwardly, I'm like grossed out, starts to ask her these questions. And he goes, out of nowhere, she kind of, she literally said, Stabler goes on a weird thing. I didn't write it down. He was like, oh, when my wife is pregnant, it's kind of confusing sometimes, blah, 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 like, bleh, trying to lead her into like getting the timeline of this pregnancy. Then Craven interrupts and goes, but in your case, dot, dot, dot. And she goes, my case? And he's like, yes, your situation. And she's just like, come again? And then he asks how the man, like what kind of bump it was. And she's kind of looking at him like, ew. And then he's like, and then I think it was him or Munch goes, was it seven months ago? Were you wearing a dress? Yes, and she's like, why are you, a-? she's kind of, she's polite at first, and then she's like, why are you asking me these questions? Right, and again, they're talking to her, their cadence, it was confusing, like, I agree with Brittany, I thought for a second, I was like, is she supposed to be developmentally disabled, um, because they're talking to her like she's a baby, and she's merely like a, a kind young person, yeah. She's got a good disposition, I think we've all met somebody like this who's just genuinely got a good disposition, I'm sorry, they're out there, they're not all like mean fox i was gonna be like like us 
Like us, yeah, like me, a grizzled old bitch. <laughs> us. Old and angry. Again, he didn't mean to be, but if you watch the episode, it's very inappropriate, the tone. Like, yeah. they're approaching her like she's stupid. They're asking her really creepy questions, like, you know, being like, were you in a dress when he bumped into you? It's just like, it's not direct. And it's insulting to her intelligence, almost. Um, so Cedra gets upset because she's she knows what they're implying because she's not stupid. And she's kind of just like, what are you asking me? This is getting annoying. I wrote, where's Benson? Where's Jeffries? Where's Debbie? L- yeah, literally, they sent fucking Olivia on, or no, Olivia sent herself on some wild goose chase. But they sent Jeffrey, actually, I think both of them sent themselves on these missions. So now I'm like, ladies, yes. you were needed at the station. So Munch, at this point, he puts a stop to it, kind of. He's, like, supposed to be, now he's supposed to be the one that's got scruples. And he literally gets on her level and he asks her if she's aware of a subway rapist. She says that she is. He says, do you know how much damage he's done? And Cedra goes, yes, but not to me. And Munch goes, I understand, but we need your help. And that was literally the line. And she goes, all right. And so then he pulls out the photo lineup. He says, where's the man that made icon, or is the man that made contact with you that day on this page? She points out Sal immediately. So then this very upsetting dramatic scene is um, Creighton goes, uh, are you hungry, Cedra? I don't think we have any ice cream and pickles, but you feckless. So Stabler escorts her out to get a snack and he's like, grab my hand. Don't grab my, el- my- don't grab my arm because I have a cold. Oh, he says, sorry, I'm only saying this because I, again, thought originally this was them calling her stupid and it infuriated me. He goes, all right, I'll take you out there. Grab my arm, not my hand. I'm battling a cold. So then she immediately grabs his hand and he kind of looks at them like this guy. Oh, I thought she, he, I was like, wait, are you sneezing directly into your hand? That's fucking gross. And then he leads her out. And I'm saying, where is Debbie to take her to the sofa? I know. I don't want you doing it. Debbie. So then Cragen says it's enough to pick it, this. He says that this is enough to pick up Sal, but that's not really enough to convict him. Um, and Munch agrees that if Cedra won't say she was raped, which right now it seems like she's not necessarily in denial, but she does not want that to be the, the story for her pregnancy. Um, and then Cragen says something that is super unhelpful, but also ends up happening. Then get him to say it. Oh, OK. OK. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Interrogation room. Sal is lurking in there. Munch busts in and tells him that they have a court order for a, fuck my life, um, amniocentesis for a complaining witness. Basically, they just go back and forth where he's going, what, what? Isn't that like what happens when someone has a baby? And Munch is like, yeah, you knocked her up, Sal. And Sal actually seems kind of into it. He's like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. That's the scene. Uh, done, done. Cedra is sitting in the bullpen with Stabler and she's drinking milk. And I hope it's not Cragen's. I said that too. (laughs) I said, I hope it's not 1%, but then I remembered I cut that part out of the episode. So I was like, hope it's not Cragen's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So Elliot comments, he goes to Cedra, he goes, Hey, how do you feel? And she goes, okay. And he's like, yeah, me too. You know, I've been sick for a week, but as soon as I touched your hand, my cold went away. What do you figure that? She goes, I don't know. And he's like, like, that's a weird fucking question, dude. (laughs) And then in a moment of impropriety that we ultimately ended up needing, Jeffries drags Sal out of the interrogation room. He's ranting about being hungry. And then he sees Cedra and he stops and Jeffries lets him. And at first I'm like, what? But then I realized. So Sal says to Cedra, it's you. Stabler gets up and tries to intervene, but Munch stops and he goes, Elliot, stop. Because they need Sal to do this. They need Sal to confess, kind of. Um, I was also like, not really, but okay. Um, 
Cedra looks repulsed and she says, it's me. Sal's insanity starts to show. He literally sounds crazy right now. And he starts describing the dress that Cedra was wearing the day that he attacked her, which is good for evidence, but disgusting if you were listening to it. Sal says that he wondered what would happen because, and he trails off, and Mudge goes, because what, Sal? And Sal says that he knew that when he assaulted Cedra, quote, something beautiful could happen and that Cedra would have his baby. Stabler grabs Sal by the other arm and they start to drag him off together, he and Jeffries. And then Sal begins to rant um, that when he gets out of jail, he and Cedra will be a family with the baby. And he's going, when they're pulling away, he's going, that's my baby. That's my baby. So then Cedra looks up at Munch and she begins to cry. Executive producer Dick Wolf. How fucking devastating. So I could be being dramatic here, but I felt like this was especially devastating for her because it's like on the one, it's like two things. Like one, she's being, she's being re-traumatized all over again, obviously, which is always what they say in court. They don't want to do with having the victims confront their attackers. It's like traumatizing for them. It's terrifying. But also you can tell this woman in her own way, she's not stupid because in her own way, she was able to cope with this accordingly and handle it in a way that she was able to not get over it maybe, but move on from it. She had made peace with it. And they not only re-traumatized her, but they forced her to, quote, meet her rapist. And now it basically shattered this idealism, this excitement, this hope that she had for this baby that she had. You could tell that she was like convinced herself like this is not going to be the story for this conception. It's going to be a normal baby. I'm not going to think of it as like. You know, because as she said, he, they were like, oh, do you know how much damage Subway Rapist done? She goes, not to me. And you could tell that that was her being like, I, I refuse that narrative for my life. And they basically forced it on her. And now she's revealed to him. Now he knows about the baby. He has seen her. He knows her because he had her ID for all that time. I know she changed her address, but she did not change her name. And he was saying, he was making threats. He was saying, I know to him they weren't threats, but he was saying, when I get out, we're gonna be together. How I just got like chills. My head hurts. And it sucks because I was thinking when it was going to be the seven or eight complainants, he probably would have gotten maybe life in prison. With just one, he's probably gonna... I looked up in New York City for felony rape, five to 25 years. Um, I bet that from jail, maybe not back then, but we know damn well that the court systems are fucked up. He probably would sue for parental rights and win. Yeah. You know, like. It's a good episode in that I'm just so upset that they didn't get him with the first round of women because they're like, yeah, we'll get him with the last one. And I'm like, at what fucking cost, though? If you had got him the first round with the huge group of women, he would have gotten charged for every single one of those rapes. Hopefully he would have gotten a longer sentence. And now they're like good we'll get him on this one and i'm like it's they're probably gonna get that dickhole judge again and he's gonna be like oh he just raped one woman maybe five years i also noted that i liked the guy his name is sal in real life actually they did this a couple times in this episode bruce's real name in real life is also bruce sal's real name in real life is sal and audrey's real name in real life is audra and i was like well yeah they really did have like a five-year-old writing the script i still don't understand chris maloney's cold yeah, they left us with a lot of weird plots, like Munch's depression and his divorces, Nick and Olivia, Nick's underlying mental illness, um, Stabler has scarlet fever, Audrey, because we met her, she was really cool, and then she bounced, and we never see her after, we see her one more time, and then she's gone, and Cedra potentially having otherworldly powers, because Stabler said, Stabler was like, oh, you... You got rid of my cold. How crazy. And then that gross fucking Sally even said he was like, I knew when I assaulted. He didn't say that, but she's 
treated very weirdly. They treat her in a, like even her super was kind of doing that thing. It's almost like men can't believe it when they meet like a nice girl because they've the rest of us are so ab- like just upset with them. <laughs> We're just also beastly that when a woman's nice all the time, they're like, well, they go at one point. We didn't mention this, but she's they're talking about her commute and how awful it is. And he's like, but she never complains. And one of them is like, oh, she sounds like a saint. He goes, she is a saint. It's yeah. bizarre. It's kind of like a manic pixie dream girl reaction almost. Yes. I wish fucking Dr. Jackson had busted him in. Like, all of you get the fuck out right now. And been like, hey, let me get you a drink. Can I get you, I don't know, a snack? We've got some milk, but the, the captain might have his germs in it. So I'm not going to give you that milk. Fucking Stabler gives her the Kragen milk. Fucking idiot. He definitely gave her the Kragen milk. Fucking knew it. That user from last episode that imdb commenter was trying to save us that was so fucking funny (laughs) behavior not befitting a captain i want that on a (laughs) t-shirt anyway thank you so much for listening as usual you beautiful beautiful fools you yes thank you guys for 21 episodes and uh Stick around for at least 21 more. At least. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much for dealing with all these technical difficulties and my stabler colds. And my mic, um, because it's still not as good as my old one. So I'm just apologizing for that. Okay. Anyway, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Leave us alone. Where's Debbie? (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 